Welcome to Campaign Corner. Hey there guys, this is Quarren Zilsent, son of Duke Penlod Zilsent, Duke of Mercy, also known as Reed. And this is part two of Magical Beats and How to Craft Them. Part one was specifically more of a tavern talk, and therefore if you are just listening to the playlist for Campaign Corner, you obviously did not listen to that one prior to this, so you should probably go back and listen to that one. Again, you can find it over in Tavern Talk. This, however, is more of a hands-on thing and less opinionated. Well, it's still going to be largely opinionated since it's based off the principles I talked about over there. But because it's more hands-on and we're going to be building a specific creature this week, I put it in Campaign Corner because that fit more appropriately. However, this is part two of three-part series, possibly more than three parts. Therefore, if this is sometime in the future and we have the future parts released, be sure to queue them up right after this one. So, with all the introductory stuff out of the way, let's talk about what we're doing. So, this week, we will be building a monster, and the way I prepped for this was very simply to go online, type in mythical folklore creatures, and started looking at some random pictures, looking for something to pop out at me, and ran with it. And there were a lot of pictures, a lot of different pretty cool-looking creatures, and honestly... This is another topic, and I will not rabbit hole down that far on this one, but really, one of the biggest problems with the more D&D-inspired hack-and-slash role-playing games is that there's a lot of freaking good creatures out there that you're really, really scared to do because the players may decide to fight the monsters instead of just dealing with them. And that is a really obnoxious kind of pigeonhole that you find yourself in as a designer, is, well, I mean, what if the players decide they just want the XP from killing the monster... You know, it was like, let's say, the uh, bog sprite that I was looking at and thinking about doing. You know, that's a pretty cool idea. It might have some interesting flavor to it. But if the players decide to just fight it, well, it's a tiny creature. (laughs) They can probably just step on it. And chances are this is going to be happening possibly later on in the campaign. It can't possibly be that high CR. And therefore, it's going to be really easy for them to smash. And... You know, that just creates such a pain in the butt when it comes to design that it's one of maybe the greatest failings of the... And I I feel bad for saying this, for saying the D&D idea, just because I know there are a lot of people who really like the role-playing in D&D, but at the same time, I can't help but feel that there are other systems that I've played that have made it a lot less interesting to fight monsters, partially because of the mechanics just being garbage of the combat, but... Also because there are creatures that you just plain don't want to fight in a lot of other systems. Whereas, again, not really the fault of the players so much as much as it is, well, D&D has these EXP levels and you're constantly being pushed to get higher levels so you can fight bigger stuff. And that driving force just kind of causes the problem. I said I wasn't going to rabbit hole too much. I wasn't going to uh, tangent too much on this and it looks like I'm already maybe a minute or two into the tangent so I really need to pull back here and this is obviously another topic we've talked about a few times before I believe so again it's something that is central to D&D this whole entire EXP thing that causes designing creatures to be a bit more difficult since they can always be combat encounters so that is the summation that's TLDR and back on to topic. All right, so the Balk, the creature that we're building today. There's actually not much that I've been able to find for it. There's basically the same two paragraphs repeated on multiple websites and therefore has made researching it a bit difficult. Not that I wanted to research it too much because I did just want kind of a template creature so that we can be a bit more creative with this. But However, it is one of those unfortunate things when, you know, you go to Wikipedia, find an excerpt, and then everybody else just copies Wikipedia's thing instead of looking up into more original research that they may have access to because they're into, let's say, Serbian mythology, which is where this creature is from. And by Serbian mythology, I'm sure we mean perhaps more like Serbian folklore, but... So here's the excerpt. Balk is an animal-like mythical creature in Serbian mythology. The Balk is described as hiding in dark places, holes, or abandoned houses, waiting to grab, carry away, and devour its victim. But it can be scared away by light and noise. It has a clumsy gait, and its onomatopoeia is Bow. Interpretations of the Balk's attributes leads to the conclusion that the Balk is actually a description of real bears, which were already regionally extinct in some parts of Serbia and known only as legend. 
The word balk was initially used as in hypocorism. And just to expand on that slightly, uh, hypocorism, which is what it says balk is, is a pet name or a diminutive name. And then bow, I read on another website, is basically the Serbian boo, like scary, and therefore it was used more as, like a lot of fairy tales, honestly, more as a way of teaching children not to do things to scare them away from going out at night or going into dark places where nobody could find them in case they get in trouble, you know, then they just disappear off and they wouldn't be able to get help. Therefore, you tell them that there's a balk in that, you know, desolate area over there and you don't want to go in there because the balk will eat you. So something I will mention as we get into this is that I personally find it more fun to make my creatures from scratch, but I'm using this as a stepping stone and I think that there are a lot of people that like to adapt things they've seen into D&D creatures anyway. So this is kind of halfway down the middle. We've got something, we have this balk, like I said, that has very limited information that I could find. And therefore that gives me a lot of flexibility to do interesting creative things with it. But is also more in line with what I imagine a lot of people do, which is adapt things that they've seen into something that they think is cool. So... We'll be taking the Balk. It is a bear. We could use a bear as our base, but I'm actually going to go a bit more extravagant with this one. So first off, let's think about what exactly this Balk is. It is a bear. It's supposed to hide in dark areas. So this is an ambushing type creature, and it's also supposed to be like really tough. So we could start off with the bear as our base. We could just grab the bear stats out of the book and then run with it. Because it's an ambusher, that makes it more deadly, and therefore we should theoretically make it a higher CR. And having said CR just now, I will take this opportunity to mention that I'm going to be doing this in 3.5 as opposed to 5th edition, just because I am a lot more comfortable with 3.5 and have a lot more experience doing this kind of stuff. So anyway, back onto topic. If we say that a bear is normally CR 3, we're looking at probably around about three hit dice. We're looking at an ogre-sized creature here. Problem is, is that this Balk is also an ambusher, which means that its CR is going to be higher. So when we make this Balk, we should probably consider making it like, let's say CR 7 or CR 8. Let's actually make this something really dangerous and really scary for the players while trying to maintain some of the flavor and also making it a bit more fantastical. Again, I'm just using this as a template I'm going to go ahead and add stuff to it. So if we can go all the way up to like, let's say CR7, CR8 with this and make it something that the players are definitely going to be scared of, then we can start adding supernatural abilities to it. And I realized that that's prior to me even talking about HP or attack or anything like that. That's on purpose because again, I believe that creatures should be made from their abilities first. They should have mechanical attributes that define them prior to having other stats and such to back it up. To start out with, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to go ahead and give this Balk Dimension Door, or possibly something like Dimension Doors. Um, I'd have to double check if Shadow Walk is an actual ability that creatures can have, otherwise I can just claim to have the Shadow Walk ability. Again, we're building this from scratch. The ability will, in essence, just work as in a dark area, the Balk can move up to, let's say, 30 feet as a move action. That's probably what we're going to go with, and it can bring creatures with it because we have this whole entire grab, carry away, and devour its victim theme going here. So, so that's pretty well-themed, I believe, is to have this Balk have the ability to essentially teleport through shadows and it also gives our players a way to counter the Balk later on. Again, the Balk should be scared away by light and noise. We'll look at that in a couple more minutes. But for right now, I'm just going to write down Balk because I didn't write the name down. And then Shadow Step. All right, so that was pretty easy. We have a pretty strong mechanical base for the creature now. We know that it's an ambusher that uses uh, Shadow Step to get close to a prey. Now we just give it the improved grab ability. And, you know, that's something that I know obviously exists from playing but you can always look up other creatures and say okay are there any other options i can use here definitely become very familiar with stuff like the monster's manual or whatever your system may have just read through it get to look at a bunch of different creatures i wouldn't recommend even reading through it a to z i would recommend just flipping the pages until something cool pops up and then reading through what that creature does it doesn't matter what the cr is the important thing is just learning about what other people have put into the creatures to make them cooler and getting that as a background. 
So we have established our basic tactics for the Balk. Now to start adding some stats. And originally I was going to do this without the Monster Manual out, but I started talking and I decided, you know what? Even though I really like treating creatures as art, and creature design, game design in general as art, but designing these creatures as an art subject is what I wanted to do. I kept on referencing the Monster Manual when I was doing so, and therefore I decided, you know what? Screw it, I'm just gonna pull out the Monster Manual from 3.5 so that I can talk specifically about the charts and stuff that we have in the back here in case you would like references. So big charts to remember is 290, page 290 has a chart for creature improvement. Obviously we are not improving a creature here, we're making it from scratch, but it is still a good uh, guideline. And then on the opposite page on 291, you have some other stuff to consider, some other tables in case you want to change how exactly the creature is doing damage then flipping a couple pages, we get to 294, which has the improved monster CR increase. That is not something that we may necessarily look at, but is definitely something to give us some guidelines in case we make highly specialized creatures that are similar to other creatures, but have some kind of special ability that puts them above and beyond it. And one more page flip after that, we get to 296, which gives us the creature size, ability scores, and damage table, which is useful. So, looking at our Balk, our Balk is going to be probably a large creature. I don't think we're going to make it huge, even though bears are also large, and we kind of feel like we want to make it bigger than a bear just to make it scarier. Huge is kind of a big jump there, so we're going to continue to call it large. So, flipping back over to 290, a couple pages, we go ahead and look at the creature improvement by type, and this will give you the basic guidelines for creatures of a certain type, I believe if I go into Glossary, I'll find out that Magical Beast has in its description exactly what's on this chart. So it will say Magical Beasts have D10 hit die. They have an attack bonus as their hit dice. And then they have good Fortitude reflex saves and 2 plus int mod skills. So we're just going to run with that. So as a CR 7 or 8, we'll just say 7 from now on. I'm going to say, okay, the CR of the monster is 7. So let's start looking at probably the most relevant thing when you think of a Balk is it's a big bear and you generally think of two things. You think of hit points and attack when you think about a big bear. So we'll start out with hit points. And obviously the chart says that we have D10 hit points and we're looking at a CR7 Balk. So seven hit points is going to be what I say. Now, if we were to flip over, I'm not going to say you have to if you're following along here, just because that's a lot of page flipping, but if you flip over to 297, you find out under the hit dice section underneath at the bottom right hit dice and target CR that generally you can have CR worth of hit dice and you probably want it a little bit higher to make up for the fact that you've got multiple players attacking it and just to take out some of the variants so that it can't be one hitted as easily. The only reason I'm not going to make this bigger than 7, even though we have the leeway and it would make sense to put it higher than 7, is simply because it is an assassin-type character, and therefore that doesn't make as much sense. Even though this is a big brutish bear-type creature, I think the 7 hit dice are good enough to justify the its size. I think that reflects its size well enough thematically. And then we can just say, okay, any extra hit dice it doesn't necessarily matter because we're the assassin character. It doesn't make as much sense to be completely tank. You know, we, we're not going to have 21 hit dice on this assassin character, even though the book says we can go up to three times the CR in hit dice. So 7d10 is our hit dice. That gives us uh, 7 times 5 is 35, plus half of 7 is 38. So 39-ish hit points. Feels a little bit low to me, but we'll worry about that a little bit later once we start actually talking about how it's fighting. Next thing to look at is its bite attack and its attack uh, to begin with. So looking at our big chart on 290, we see that Magical Beasts normally have hit die worth of attack bonus, which is just fine for our assassin type creature. We want it hitting every single time it attacks because obviously, again, 35 hit points feels pretty low for our bear creature but we anticipate that it's going to deal massive damage when it gets in there so we want to guarantee each time it attacks that it hits we don't want to 
you know, give it a true strike or anything because that's cheating our players. That's one of those things I was talking about before uh, in last episode where you don't want to bully your players and force your creature to work on the players. However, giving it plus seven to hit innately off a basic deck bonus, that's not breaking any rules. The players should anticipate that a creature with seven hit dice can have up to seven attack bonus. We don't want to give it plus 20 to attack because then something's clearly wrong and the players are going to call you out on it. So it gets plus seven to attack from its attack bonus. And then it should have at least a plus five strength. I'm going to say off the top of my head, that makes sense for a large creature. Honestly, that's one of the strength totals that you'll end up getting to with, let's say an orc barbarian, a half orc barbarian or something like that. Possibly even a human barbarian at first level, if you're all a natural 18. So it makes sense to me that we're going to have a plus five to hit so that gives us a plus 10 total or i can do math that gives us a plus 12 total to hit which seems pretty reasonable so if we think about this actually i'll save that i'll save that uh tangent for later on when we start looking at the creature as compared to our players so springboarding off of attack we have damage and if we look at the chart on 296, creature size, ability scores, and damage, we can see that a large creature normally has a bite of 1d8. That's what we're looking at for our Balk. It's a bear. It's going to be biting people. It will probably also be mauling it with its claws. And those are at 1d6 apiece. So bite, claw, claw is a traditional, very straightforward attack line for a magical beast in particular and for animals as well. So nothing out of the ordinary there for our players. It's not like they're going to think that we're cheating by having three attacks. Uh, for our base attack bonus, that's going to be the full base attack bonus for the bite. And also, if we flip over to 299, we can see underneath full attack that the natural weapon section mentions that we can choose our primary attack. And you can have any number of primary attacks so long as they are the same exact natural attacks. So in theory, we could give our claws the natural attack bonus or the whatever you want to call it. However, it doesn't make sense for our creature, right? And that would be cheating. If we decide to go claw, claw, bite and say, well, the claws are the natural attacks for the bear in order to get the higher attack bonus on it. That would be cheating our players. Our players would probably be feeling bad about that. So instead, we'll just make the natural assumption that the bite is the primary attack of the Balk. And therefore, that is at its full base attack bonus. And if we read here, if it only has one primary attack as opposed to two primary attacks, if we had chosen the claws, then it basically gets the two-handed bonus. It gets the one and a half times the strength bonus. So at five strength, we will be dealing plus seven damage or at 20 strength plus five bonus we deal plus seven damage so we're looking at a 1d8 plus seven damage bite at plus 12 because it's our primary attack to hit and then our two claws like we said were 1d6 damage a piece and also under that section i mentioned on page 292 or 299 rather you will see that secondary attacks which is anything other than a primary attack takes a minus five to hit unless you want to give your creature multi-attack again multi-attack is nonsense for this creature it doesn't make any sense that this creature will be just as ambidextrous making claw attacks as it is bites i realize that you may like to argue that but it no it doesn't so that's plus seven to hit on the claws because it's minus five and then we got two of them and 1d6 plus half of our strength. Half of our strength because they're a secondary attack. So that's going to be plus two. So our full attack is plus 12, plus seven, plus seven. And then 1d8 plus seven and 2d6 plus four total for the claws if both of them hit. That's a good bit of damage. That is nice assassin level damage, especially with the plus 12 to hit. That's going to guarantee something. All right, so we have some patches here on our monster that we neglected to fill in because we were jumping around to the stuff that made sense, the stuff that we were excited about with the monster. And that would be the rest of the ability scores. So far, we've only filled in strength and then the AC, which goes along with the rest of the combat abilities. I'm going to start with the ability scores just because those are going to influence our AC once we start looking at how this monster uh, rounds out. So... If you go over to page 290 where the big chart was for improving monsters above that you can see that underneath ability score arrays they give us options 
between an elite array and a non-elite array. We're going to go ahead and use the elite array just because this bouse. All right, so that was a slip of the tongue. I said bouse, and that was me putting balk and boss together as a portmanteau because I was going to say that this balk is a boss monster type creature. So it makes sense to give it more of an elite array. And furthermore, they seem like they should be pretty rare. They should be just one per hunting ground, let's say, and only in the deepest and darkest corners of the land. So it makes sense to have this guy be a bit more elite. So therefore, when we're looking at is a 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, and 8 for to distribute across the creature. What I'm going to say at this point is even though I just gave you those ability scores to work off of, I do not like using those score arrays on anything other than uh, NPCs. If I'm making an NPC, I would go ahead and use elite and non-elite score arrays just because they are less... I don't want to say that they're less customized, but all their customization is in the character personality and unless they're garbage, in which case, obviously, the non-elite array makes a lot of sense to use. It makes sense to use an array on just throwaway NPC characters. The elite array, however, does make things a bit more fair for the players. It gives you some guidelines rather than saying, well, I have this arc wizard and it makes sense for him to have a 24, let's say, intelligence and, you know, he's the Arc Wizard. He has this castle. So that means he has to be pretty wise, right? So let's give him a 20 wisdom. And then my Arc Wizard, eh, you know, he runs the castle. So, yeah, tw 20 charisma makes sense, right? And I'll just say he only has, let's say, a 10 strength, a 10 dex, and a 10 con. Just to balance things out, right? Because that completely balances things out. That's what you say to yourself when you're not putting guidelines on the NPCs that you're making. So that is why I use, I will often use at any rate, the elite array for big NPCs. I occasionally do also just roll them up if I'm feeling adventurous, but it is just very, very safe to go with an array instead of pulling it out of your butt just because there's nothing the players can complain about at that point. And it, they probably will feel that it's very fair even if they don't know that you use the Elite Array, just because they don't notice anything completely out of ordinary with the NPC stats. Not that the players are ever going to see the NPC stats, but you'll be surprised how much the players can figure out. And if you've been DMing for a while, you know the, D the players can figure out a lot just from a simple combat. So overall, like I said, we're looking at this Elite Array. So that's my general setup for it. If we look at the opposite page 291 we can see that increasing a creature from medium to large gives it plus eight strength minus two decks plus four con plus three natural armor negative one attack so a lot of this stuff i would normally just go ahead and just throw in there that's why i said okay whatever it's going to have a 20 strength that just makes sense the con probably give it a 16 con that kind of lines up with the uh plus four to con and let's say the 12 on its ability scores and then for dexterity it's a bear bears it has a clumsy gate if you remember back to the balk description it has a clumsy gate and it's onomatopoeia is a bow so we can go ahead and give that let's say a eight on the dexterity i could give it a six i definitely could give it a six that would make sense and you know what let's go ahead and do that just to make a point and the point i'm making here is Remember what I said last time. This is not your baby. As much effort as we're putting in right now, this is not your baby boy. This is a monster that the players are going to kill. Your creature is already dead. I'm sorry to break this to you. This Balk is going to be murdered horribly in all of 10 minutes combat. All right. Well, this is D&D, so combat's going to be more like an hour. But regardless, I'm going to make it a six just because, just to kind of set the precedence for you that don't try to nudge the numbers and say, oh, well, I can justify giving it only a minus one to dexterity because I really want to have that plus one to AC and the plus one, the net plus one, I'm saying, to reflex save. Obviously, it's a minus one, but, you know, at least it's not as bad as a six, right? Yeah, don't worry about that. Don't try to justify your numbers, justify not making things as bad as they are. Just give them something that is seems fair and fills in the character's personality. And again, 
the Balk is a clumsy creature. It just kind of rumbles around. It may be an assassin creature. It may be able to jump through shadows, but that doesn't necessarily make it an extremely nimble creature, and it is likely going to have a hard time getting out of the way. So a 6 makes more sense for the creature than an 8. Again, the 6 feels bad. Sure, if I had a 6 on my character sheet, I'd probably cry. And I'm sure plenty of you have probably had characters with a 6 in one of their stats. So moving on to the rest of its ability scores, uh, animals normally have, I believe, two intelligence, possibly three. If animals do have two intelligence, then I would want to give this Balk a two or a, a three or a four rather, because it is a magical beast instead of a regular beast. It's going to have some kind of reasonable intelligence that puts it above regular animals but it's definitely going to be nowhere near a human. So let's go ahead and just give it a four in intelligence uh, an eight or a 10 on wisdom. I'll probably just go with an eight and then charisma, you know, and this is one of those things I'm thinking about intimidate and stuff like that. If we want to add that to the character later, technically in D D intimidate, unless I believe they added a feat very late on in one of the later splat books that allows you to use strength. My group always played that you could use strength in Intimidate instead of Charisma. I'm going to go ahead and just give it the four Charisma as well. At this point, if I was a bit more serious about looking at the creature, I would skim through this monster manual I have in front of me, looking at the other magical beast to get a better idea at where we gauge Charisma. But Charisma largely does not matter for this creature. It is because this creature is very much a combat-oriented creature, which is, again, why I did not take one of the Bogarts or one of the other small creatures that might have more of a role-playing aspect to them because I wanted to do something that would be a bit easier for you to stat out since we're focusing just on combat and we don't have to worry about, well, what if the players decide to talk to this creature or what if the player, or what if we have a creature that the players are supposed to talk to, but they end up fighting it? Should we therefore give it good combat stats in order to offset the chance that the players might decide they want to fight it? which is a whole nother subject, right? We're just going with a straightforward example here with the Balk. So moving on to AC, this is going to be the point, right? Um, where we got to decide how this creature, how much damage this creature is going to take, how resilient it's going to be, because we're nearing round about the end of the creature development. The saving throws, honestly, are basically just auto-generated. You don't actually touch saving throws as far as I'm aware at any rate and try to modify them. You can give them like, you know, if it made sense for the creature, give it some kind of like warding ability that would give it a bonus to let's say reflex or fortitude or something like that. You could definitely do those things, but by and large doing the saving throws is the last thing I always do just because you just pull them out of the monster manual based on its creature type, which again is magical beast and it's HD. You just cross-reference that the book will tell you exactly what they get. So regardless, we are on AC right now. And if we look at, well, while we're round about page 290, 291, we can look at the chart that says, okay, a large creature going from medium to large gives you plus two AC. So we'll keep that in mind that larger creatures have higher AC. That is often to offset the fact that they have a lower dexterity. And also the fact that the matter is that bigger things tend to be thicker skinned just as a natural, <laughs> natural biology. They just have a thicker skin because they're holding more in there. There's more out, uh, inward pressure going outwards. And we will not dive too far into how exactly giant creatures hold themselves up and do not simply collapse, how exactly their muscles are designed in such a way that they can actually support the structural frame that they inhabit. We're not going to get that technical with this. But regardless, we can flip over to page 298. And we can see here underneath armor class in the chart, typical natural armor values. That's going to be the only thing our Balk has. It's not going to be wearing armor. So... We can see a tough hide, which makes sense for our Balk. It's a bear. We can see here polar bear is on the list for a tough hide. Thick skin or fur, which would be plus one to plus three, would be a black bear. But this is definitely at least polar bear size, if not a bit larger, at least descriptive wise, even if it is still in the large category. 
So a tough hide, plus four to plus seven. If we think about this, we got to start asking, okay, so we're going to assume that the fighter is most often going to hit this thing. So we don't have to worry about him, but maybe we'll want to make the chances of, let's say, the rogue stabbing it a bit lower. So we say, okay, our CR7, our level 7 rogue, is going to have a 7th level, that's six, plus 6, plus 1, if I recall correctly, on the uh, moderate attack table. So that's plus 6, and then a plus, let's say, 3 to hit in between a plus one dagger and a plus two strength. That's actually on the high side. We could even say plus two or plus one might even be more in line for a melee attack from a rogue, unless it's specifically designed to be attacking a melee. For example, if it's a rogue fighter, which I have made plenty of. So regardless, we're going to be looking at, okay, at plus eight, what AC do we want to have on this thing? And this now that I'm talking, now that we're in this mindset of, okay, how is this creature going to be fighting players? We are going to be talking a lot more about, okay, what does my group look like? So, for example, if I was dropping this creature into Pumpkin Spice, I know that they have now three buff characters, I believe, in between Ali, myself, on Team Orc. Team Orc has myself and Ali for buffs. That's a plus four to five total depending on what powers i use and then you got to figure that there's going to be a fair bit of flanking so that's another plus two so that's you know would be a plus six on top of we're targeting the moderate attack creature uh, guys of uh, plus six so that's looking at a plus 12 to hit for our characters so as you can see this is one of the problems i'm going to say when players work together and maximize their bonuses in D&D is that it can go out of control really quickly. We just went from this theoretical rogue that had plus seven to hit to this theoretical rogue in a party from Pumpkin Spice that has at least a plus 12 to hit after all the other bonuses. There is definitely some issues with the attack system in D&D, which again is an entirely different topic, but is why it's important for these creatures since you're not going to be, I mean, maybe you are. I, I have uh, submitted creatures to, for example, Giant in the Playgrounds monster contests before. So you could be creating creatures for a general uh, compendium. However, for most DMs, when they create a player, uh, when they create a creature, they have a specific campaign in mind with specific characters. And therefore, you should just tailor it a bit more to the party, which, again, is going to be a bit more difficult for the Balk to deal with a Pumpkin Spice group than with your typical D&D group. In that case, let's say theoretically I was dropping this into Pumpkin Spice. Rather than worrying about the AC, I might give it the Displacer ability. Uh, displacers are also kind of lurking semi uh semi-assassin creatures they don't always get used as assassins but if i recall correctly they do have i think a high enough hide check that they could ambush so while they are not strictly assassins like this balk it would possibly make sense that the balk has a displacement ability we could add that to the creature if our we know our party is going to have just such a huge attack bonus that the ac is going to be completely unnecessary uh completely meaningless so if we know we're going to a group where the ac is going to be completely meaningless then add some other defensive abilities maybe it's uh damage reduction which would apply more strictly more it would have a greater effect against the mid-range creature uh, players that we're trying to target here such as the rogue as opposed to the damage intensive characters such as rothgar who's a barbarian and therefore deals a lot more damage so the damage reduction would be a good choice to still allow your damage characters to deal damage while mitigating some of the extra damage coming from secondary sources. Likewise, you could also consider if it was thematic, and it's not really thematic in this case, energy resistances. If your group, you know, has wizards that are the primary damage dealers and you know what spells the wizards generally like to use, all that out of the way, those are all options. I'm going to just be looking at, you know, our generic let's say plus seven plus eight attack rogue. So we're looking at 10 base AC and then minus two from the bad decks. That brings us down to eight. 
right now the plus eight rogue is hitting us 100% of the time. So we're just looking at the dice roll at this point. We can just kind of cross those off of the mathematical equation and say, okay, we maybe want to try to get this thing up to a plus 10 natural armor. And that is going to be really difficult, especially because as a large creature, we get minus one from being large to our AC. So we're going to have a bit of a difficult time with this. So if we give it the plus seven natural armor, base of 10, that's 17. Minus two from the dex is 15. Minus one from size is 14. That's still going to be very easy for our plus eight rogue to hit. So that's a roll of eight. So that's 60% chance for the rogue to hit. It's not amazing. You know, that's not a 75% chance to hit. That still allows for some variance. The rogue can miss a few times, so it's not horrible. However, there's not much else we can do without getting a bit crazy with the rolls here. And while we may be able to justify that some other time, I'm going to just chalk this up to D&D &D having a base attack bonus that swells a little too much for my comfort across player levels. However, this does bring up the question of, well how do we fight this combat and if the rogue if we're going to assume that the fighter is going to be the one or possibly the wizards being the one that actually defeats this thing and the rogue is less likely to deal much damage to the balk then it is extremely likely that we will should be going after either the wizards or the rogue as our targets and the reason i say that is because if we go after the fighter then it's well, first off, we can kind of justify, say, that it's going to be picking off the weaker guys just as a predatory instinct. We can justify it as that instinct as to why it went after the weaker looking characters as opposed to the strongest looking character. And more from a meta perspective, if the rogue is not going to contribute as much in this fight, it may be better for the encounter for the rogue to feel super threatened instead so instead of oh well i have to flank it and just give bonuses and that's my only contribution to this combat having him have some kind of real deep intense involvement in the combat you know would be preferable and then on the flip side of that if we go after the wizard instead then we are removing a source of damage that could possibly kill the balk and that will make the combat more drawn out and furthermore Let's say that the fighter rolls a couple bad attacks right. If we're going after Wizard, then that actually makes the fighter panic a lot more since he's the one that's supposed to be dealing damage. And furthermore, the Wizard would be auto-hitting instead of having to surpass the Balk's natural armor, its AC class, which, again, should be pretty easy for the fighter. The fighter should be hitting 100% of the time. But we're still re removing something that would literally be hitting 100% of the time as opposed to something that can roll once. So... There's some justification there that the wizard is more consistent damage and is easier to pick off for the assassin type character. And then the rogue is the character least likely to have it least likely to be very interested in combat. And therefore we're getting him involved in the combat by going after him. And he's also a squishy target. So there is some ideas about how we're going to be fighting with this creature. And the only question is, is whether or not we're going to be able to achieve our objectives. That's going to be the next big question. So we know we're going to be getting hit every single time. We know that our game plan is to use improved grab to grab a, to grab one of the characters. And we can do that hopefully in the surprise round. Basically we will make, we'll plan on for this combat, having the players make a perception or spot check, depending on their system to spot the Balk. And then if they don't spot it, we get the surprise round on him from the shadow step. So the bear shadow steps in. We start the surprise round. The Balk gets the initial attack, the surprise round attack, and then gets its improved grab, ideally. Ideally, with its plus 12 to hit on its standard attack, because, again, surprise round, so it only gets one action, it will ideally, and in most circumstances, hit its target and grab its target. So at this point, the players are rolling against the Balk to stop it from teleporting on its turn back through the shadows away from the party, separating its target from the party, thus creating a more difficult situation for the players to overcome. So what does that mean? That means that in our initial ambushing scenario, it would be very, very tempting to take improved initiative. 
So I'm going to write that down temporarily at the very least. And that is definitely an ability that we can consider. However, it is also good to note that it only is relevant once in combat. And therefore, we might decide to just drop it because we feel that the creature is too powerful later on. The next thing that we got to consider is if we don't get the ambush on the characters. And in that case, we might shadow step in, grab a creature, and then we might have to go ahead and do something like a rend ability in order to guarantee our damage. So if we're just shadow stepping in and biting, we're dealing 1d10 plus 7, which is 17 damage on a 7 hit dice character. We can assume that our target is a flimsier character, so he's going to have... Let's average D4 and D5, uh, D6 together. Actually, did Pathfinder... Yeah, I believe Pathfinder might have actually increased the wizard up to D6, which makes a lot more sense over D&D. So we might be able to go ahead and say 7, D7 on average. Uh, so that's uh, 3.5 average on D7, and we have 7 HD, which would put us at 21 and half of 7 is 3. So 24 HP, we're going to assume... And then plus seven for its constitution, for a plus one constitution, we can go ahead and assume. So that's, I think I just said 24 plus seven, so that's 31. 31, and our target here for our ambushing character is to deal as close to 31 without going over 31. We don't want the variance of accidentally killing the player. Killing players is really not good. Even though we have this assassin class boss monster, we don't actually want to be killing the characters we want to drop them below zero and let them bleed out and create a panic scenario for the other characters to heal them and get them back onto their feet so we don't want to be dealing so much damage that that happens so looking at our damage we can assume that a d10 on average deals 5.5 plus 7 is 12 so we compare 12 damage 12.5 damage to the 31 target and we're off by a multiple of two at least closer to a multiple of three so we're looking at at least three primary attacks to get the uh, the character to where we want it so uh again another natural uh, attack ability seems like it would make sense and think uh, i said rend earlier i was talking about rend earlier just because rend tends to deal high amounts of damage however rend is also more of a claw based ability and that's it's actually literally a claw based ability it is hit with both of your claws and deal extra damage and we're doing more biting with our character because of the improved grab and because he's a bear so i would go ahead and instead of going for rend i would just pulling out of my repository of creature abilities go for pounce and again this is another one of those reasons why it helps a lot to go through uh, the monster manual when you can and just i mean not even when you can just you know occasionally open it up before sessions and read a couple monsters because i know that pounce exists and therefore i can use it in this monster otherwise i gotta think of something to come up with furthermore just to justify the decision to go with pounce it makes sense right it is a monster leaping through the shadows to attack a creature so pounce seems like it's the right way to go all right so looking up pounce in the glossary chapter 7 page 313 of the monster manual when a creature with this special attack makes a charge it can follow with a full attack including rake attacks if the creature also has the rake ability which is good to remember that there's also rake and not just rend uh rake right below it so we can actually look at it and i don't have to go after memory extruder with the special ability gains an extra natural attack when it grapples the foe which actually would work well with our character because our foe our character is also grappling but it doesn't make as much sense just because we're not necessarily raking we're mauling so i'm going to go ahead and let that one slide we don't want to just pile every single last ability onto this creature again and i'm going to be repeating myself here we don't want the players to feel this is unfair. We want the players to enjoy this combat. And if we just throw every single last ability in the Monster Manual at the players. Well, one, not only are we uh, limiting future design space for ourselves. Not only are we making it harder to make new and interesting creatures later on. Just because we decided to take the stance of anything that fits goes. Well, we're also just making the combat miserable for the players. And making it seem like we're out to kill them which we shouldn't be. You should not be trying to kill your players. 
Unless, obviously, you're playing something like the Tomb of Horrors, in which case you have a social agreement among the group, hey, we are playing the Tomb of Horrors. You understand what that means, yes? You accept all responsibility for what happens in the Tomb of Horrors, yes? You have signed the waiver saying that you will not get upset when your character inevitably dies, yes? Okay, good, we're good. So, outside of those kinds of scenarios where the group has decided and the group accepts responsibility that their character will die, it is not good to go ahead and just kill off, uh, to be in the mindset that you should be beating the players. So, again, a bit of an unnecessary sidebar for me there, but at least I kept that one reasonably short. So, regardless, we have Pounce now. Problem. We said that Shadow Step works with a move action, which originally I thought was going to be okay because I said, okay, we move and then we get our primary attack, which hopefully should deal some amount of damage. Well, I mean, as it turns out, our primary attack does not deal enough damage. So now we got to look at Shadow Step, which we were basing off of Dimension Door and which we were basing loosely off Dimension Door, I'll add, just because we were uh, Dimension Door, if I recall correctly, in D&D 3.5 does not allow you to take actions after teleporting. So how do we do this? How do we adjust Shadow Step to make it work a bit more better? Do we even keep Shadow Step? Is this a situation where we actually don't try to teleport out and instead we just charge in from the shadows and try to take out the players that way? Well, if we look at our ability, if we look at our skills, our alternative here would be Stealth. And we're going to be getting a negative 2 to stealth from our dexterity, and then a negative 4 from being large. So we're already down 6 in the hole. So just to break even, we'd have to give our creature... Well, our creature would have uh, 6 ranks of stealth plus the plus 3... Or 7 ranks of stealth plus the plus 3 from it being a trained skill. We're going to assume that the skill is trained on the uh, Magical Beast. Uh, that's generally how you do it. Any skills that the Magical Beast has naturally that makes sense for the Magical Beast at any rate, and therefore it should have, should be trained skills, and therefore it should get the plus three trained bonus in it. We can say, okay, we have a plus 10 from our ranks, and then a minus six, so we're only up four, and then we can maybe give ourselves a special ability to get a, another plus four, uh, an additional plus four from a special ability would not be terribly game breaking. It wouldn't be terribly unfair. And that's definitely an option. A plus eight to stealth, I believe was the math I just figured out. A plus eight to stealth is reasonable. It's not that great, especially against the rogue. The rogue will likely have, let's see, perception at plus 10 as well. And then an additional plus two, let's say, to the perceptions, plus 12. So you're down four against the rogue. It's doable, but we would probably, because we don't necessarily plan on doing this ambushing too often. Again, this is more of a boss monster. Maybe these creatures are a bit more prolific in your world. Maybe you decide that the first one is a boss monster and then the players later on fight more and they're easier. And that gives your players a sense of accomplishment by having them beat these creatures more easily later on to prove that they've gotten stronger. But that's not what I'm seeing right now. What I'm seeing right now is that chances are if I use this in my campaign, there is going to be a Balk. There is going to be singular a Balk, as far as the players ever know within the campaign. And the players are going to kill the Balk. So because it's a unique boss master, we're going to go ahead and take the opportunity and the justification of that to go ahead and make this Shadow Step just a special ability, a supernatural ability. And... It's going to basically say that the Balk can move between shadows as if they were adjacent spaces, let's say. That's actually not wording that gets used a lot in D&D, like if ever. That's more of a board gaming uh, term, a way of putting things and a mechanic set that board games use. But I think it works. And while it may be a little weird for the players, I think that it thematically is rather flavorful. And therefore, because it's flavorful, we're going to go ahead and go with it. So that's going to be our game plan. We're going to go ahead and go with that. And because we're making this Shadow Step a unique ability and we're customizing it, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of Improved Initiative. And as I was getting ready to add up the damage to tell us what we've arrived at with our creature, I realized that earlier on I said 10 plus 7 for an average of 12.5. And that is wrong. I had a D10 written down as the bite damage initially because I was thinking about making it bigger because it's the primary attack. And then I remembered that we get the bonus on the primary attack anyway from strength. 
So we are actually we were actually at uh, just one less on average, which would have been 11.5 on our damage initially. But now that we've added pounce and we've made pounce work with our other abilities, we are now up to 2d6 plus 4 and 1d8 plus 7, which would be uh, 7 plus 4 is 11 for the claws. So that's 11, 11, that's 22. 22 damage out of 31 is great. That is nearly dead. And that should be with some probability of actually knocking the player out, but not by too much. So that's actually right on target, adding in the pounce there and hitting with all the attacks against a squishier character should get them exactly where we want it. So that worked out great. And I'm very happy about that. And at this point, I think we're more or less done. So we have three abilities on the Balk. We have the Shadow Step, the Improved Grab, and the Bounce. The uh, Pounce, rather, not the Bounce. Uh, that is a little bit of on the high side, I feel, for a CR7, though not necessarily unreasonable. So that's okay. If we had a fourth ability like Improved Initiative, oh, I hadn't taken that off already, then I would definitely say that's a bit too many abilities for a balk for a magical beast even if it's the boss monster so i think we're looking pretty good on abilities there if i were to give a hard and fast roll for abilities don't know if i actually could basically as you get higher level what's going to happen is rather than getting so many more abilities you'll get spell like abilities or just plain spells for your creatures so we're talking like demons or npcs or whatnot and therefore that's going to replace the special abilities and therefore it's not going to be as awkward because it's going to be instead of having three distinct special abilities you're going to have just spell casting or spell like abilities you know the players will be able to conceptualize that as an ability that the creature has all together and therefore it's not going to be as much at higher levels that's generally how things work out Alternatively, with dragons, uh, yes, some dragons do cast spells, but if we were just looking at a non-spell casting dragon, just a big one, you could see that actually instead of having multiple abilities, which they do have some abilities, but they have, for example, fly, which is, which is a more passive ability. That's not something that the players look at and they say, okay, how much did this fly cost the creature? You know, if we're doing a point by creature build here, how much, how significant is the fly? They just say, oh, okay, it's a dragon, it flies. They accept it naturally. However, beyond that, the dragon actually has more attacks. That's the other thing it gets. And those attacks, that big attack pool, actually, in a way, counts as at least a, an ability, if not multiple abilities. Because now there's all these things that the dragon's doing on its turn, and that kind of defines it as a higher level creature, as opposed to having just this random grab bag of abilities that you might be tempted to do with your creature. Again, not really so much of a hard and fast rule. Just try not to make it seem like your creature is doing everything. And anything it is doing, make sure it's very thematic. And that's how I would handle the number of abilities that a creature has. Basically, enough to get by and be thematic without being so many, even if they are thematic, that the players may never see certain abilities. Or it's going to take so long that the players forget that it had the other abilities. You want this creature to be pretty definable and by adding more abilities you're kind of turning into a creature salad which makes it less unique and less thematic for the players so don't add too many abilities try to keep them thematic and if you can add other things that necessarily aren't necessarily abilities but still fit in with the creature if you feel like you just need more on the creature and like i said the balk is more or less done uh, the only thing I would say is that maybe we could get rid of the improved grab. Maybe it's not as necessary, but I do think it's thematic and it works as an alternative win condition, so to say, for the Balk is to shadow step away while carrying a creature. Ah, and this is one more thing. I was just looking over what we have here and I realized that we totally missed something that's very important. And right now the Balk is looking to me like a very straightforward creature. It's not really that impressive. And this is actually something that's going to push it over the top for me and make it a lot more interesting. And that's this line right here. The Balk is described as hiding in dark places, holes, or abandoned houses, waiting to grab, carry away, and devour its victim. But it can be scared away by light and noise. That is really good. That's very flavorful. That's something we can add to this. So for our Bouse Balk, what I'm going to say is that what we should be doing then in that case to add, and again, this adds so much more flavor and makes the creature so much more dynamic is we can go ahead and just give it 
vulnerability to Sonic, which is cool. First off, Sonic damage is one of those uh, less common forms of damage. A lot of people forego it, even though it has some very useful uses against very specific creatures. It's just not as common as the fireballs and lightning bolts and the blizzards and whatnot. And that so that's the uh, noise part that carries the noise part of our original inspiration. And then for the light part, we can go ahead and give it light blindness right out of the draw section. Flip right over there and I'll read it for you. Abrupt exposure to bright light, such as sunlight or a daylight spell, blinds Balk in this case for one round. On subsequent rounds, they are dazzled as long as they remain in the area. So, yeah, that's awesome. That adds a way for our characters to interact with the Balk that is not strictly just hacking and slashing at it. And again, adds another dimension to the Balk that was lacking before. Sure, it was just it was an assassin character before. We had that pretty well nailed down, but now it again just gives it more depth and i'm very very happy with that so uh, as a final wrap up on the creature let's go ahead and read over basically its monster battle card balk is a large magical beast it has 7d 10 plus 21 hit dice which comes out to about 59 hp i believe average it has a 20 in strength a 6 in deck 16 in con for Intelligence, 8th Wisdom, and 4 Charisma. For its full attack, it gets a Bite at plus 12 to hit, and that is 1d8 plus 7 damage. Then 2 Claws at plus 7 to hit, which is 1d6 plus 2 damage. So that's 3 attacks in total with the improved Grab ability and the Pounce ability, which allows it to do a full attack on the charge. And then we just gave, go, went ahead and gave it the vulnerability to sonic damage and the light blindness that we just ripped straight out of the draw entry because it's good. That's a good set of uh, penalties for it to have. And otherwise, it has a 14 AC and the shadow step ability and dark vision, obviously. And the shadow step ability we decided reads that areas of shadowy illumination or darkness, we should probably add, count as being adjacent. And that allows our balk to bounce all over the place and makes it more. Uh, dangerous and allows to exploit its assassin-like attributes a lot better. So yeah, that's our go at building creature based off of a mythological slash folklore creature. I think it turned out especially well now that I remember that it had those vulnerabilities. Uh, actually, on that subject, one thing I would do if we theoretically wanted to water this guy down, right now we're doing the Bowspock, right? So it's the big Balk, it's dangerous it's supposed to potentially wait the party if things go horribly but ideally not otherwise if we wanted to take this balk and make it a more common creature make it more make have multiple balks in the world instead of just this one bounce what we can do is we can lower it down to like say let's say four three three to four hd we'll lower the stats appropriately i would take out pounce as an ability i'd probably i might take out shadow step just because we, uh, yeah, I might take out Shadow Step and then add a skill bonus to Stealth. That's probably what I would do. And then I would also change the vulnerabilities. And instead of being these two vulnerabilities, the vulnerability to Sonic Damage and the Light Blindness, instead I would say it would create a new ability. It would be the Balk can be panicked by making a DC 15, let's say, performance or intimidate check to scare it away and that way not only does that give us a, you know the same kind of depth to, to the monster but it also allows us to have the combat conclude in a way other than just killing the balk now the players can actually scare the balk off and this would be something that this would be information they could gain through role playing with other characters in town so that also lends us a bit more to the buildup for the Balk instead of it maybe being just if it's the Bouse Balk, then maybe we just got some information on it, some general information on it from the townspeople and we went out specifically to kill it. Now, instead, these Balk can pop up from now to then and maybe the first one pops up and they just have to fight it. But later on, they go back to town, they find out from people in town that there's a legend that says these things can be scared off. And in subsequent times, subsequent balks that they run into, they maybe use that tactic instead. That way they can conserve resources that way.
So yeah, overall, like I said, very happy with this. So to wrap up, again, this is part two on of the series. And in the series, we just created a monster from a general idea. Part three, I'm looking to get one of the other cast members from Pathless Podcast on here with me to create a monster, ideally from scratch. So hopefully somebody's up for that task. I know that they were that Ben and Matt were volunteering Sam, trying to throw him to the wolves here. How that's going to work is I'm going to have them on. I will let them put up the idea for the creature. And then I want to start at least with this framework and then see if they have anything else they want to add to it or anything that they disagree with it. So it may be a little bit of a tavern talk there, but it should be another general campaign corner otherwise. And honestly, it may not just be three parts like I mentioned previously. It may go on to a full series. We'll see what happens with it. As always, thank you for listening. You can find the links to Facebook, Twitter, the RSS feed, etc. at pathlesspod.com. You can leave comments on pathlesspod.com or on Facebook. Or you can tweet at us at our Twitter account, again, available through the website. And if you could always, obviously, on whatever podcast service you're listening to this to, like, favorite, subscribe to the podcast, rate it. That would be excellent. Thank you very much to those who already have. And beyond that, thank you to listening to me speak. I hope that you've been enjoying this series. And I hope that you have a great and wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you're in the world. And I will catch you next time.